Amen. All right. Well, good morning, church. My name is Justin, one of the elders and pastors here. It's my privilege to open the Word of God with you today. Before we do that, though, I want to invite you to pray along with us as a family here. Um, we have we just sang that Christ is our only hope in life and death. And we can sing that. We can come in week after week. But, man, I don't know about your heart, but sometimes it's like, do I actually believe that? Do I believe that the only hope in my life, and not only in my life, but in the hope of the world, is Jesus Christ? And if we believe that, then that's going to affect the way we live. And we've prayed as a church that we would be a church that takes that, that only hope in this life and in the life to come. And we would take that into our community, across the state of Alaska, and to the end of the world. Amen? And so how do we do that? Well, we, last year we prayed as a church and we uh, put before us a 10-year vision of how we walk in the reality of some of those things. And last month we announced that we've stepped in with a church planting network called Acts 29. Uh, that are planting churches in over 51 in 51 countries around the world. And we're, we're part of that network now. And so one of the first steps into that, we feel the Lord is, is calling us to, is to connect with, they, they have a, 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 a partnership plan called Global Partners, and that we as a church would find a sister church or church planter in one of those other 50 countries to come alongside, to support them financially, to be praying for them, to build relationship. So I'm really praying for a warm place that the Lord will send me in January uh, every year to just bless them. It's not about me, right? But, so, but we want to know who. Like, and of course, the need is everywhere, but we want to say, God, like, what's your will for us particularly? So we want to be a people who pray. So giving you permission to even take out your phone right now and just put a little reminder in there. Would you be, what we're specifically asking prayer for is that God would show us uh, who to partner with uh, around. Now, that won't mean there's the only partner we ever make, but who's that, who, what's that first step going to look like? We're praying about that as elders. I'm going to be talking with the mission team uh, today after second service. We're going to be praying about it, but we just want to invite everyone in our church to be praying, like, Lord, what's that next step where we can take the name of Jesus where it has not been yet and plant churches and make disciples in those places? So just invite you to pray with me in that. We're also looking within state. We've been having some really exciting conversations with a church in McGrath. Pastor Brad Sturm was here for a mission weekend about some exciting opportunities to take the gospel from McGrath and, and, and take it into villages where there are no churches. More about that coming this summer. And then also be praying that we want to plant churches right here in our area and that the Lord would raise up leaders that we could send out and do that right in our own backyard. So let's just start with a word of prayer. Pray along with me. Father God, our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ, our Lord. My prayer is that we, each of us, would believe that, that that would get into the very fabric of our hearts, and that that overflow of the love that we have in Christ would, would compel us to take that name out. Lord, we just ask that you would make it just painstakingly obvious uh, where to start with this partnership, that we can take your name into the world. So we just pray that, that we just trust you and we're going to obey you. And we don't know how you're going to make that clear and how you're going to give us the next steps, but we know that you're faithful to build your church. And we just want to offer ourselves to you as your body to take us where you would lead us. And we pray these things in your son's beautiful name. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus uh, this morning, Exodus chapters 3 and 4. Uh, we've been walking through the book starting last week, and uh, we'll do this for the next couple months into the summer. So when I was in 2015, I was finishing up four and a half years of school where I had trained uh, very, uh, very focused and very excited about becoming an elementary school teacher. 
I had been given the prestigious position of a sixth grade teacher just down the street at K Beach Elementary. I was ready to go. Our elders here at Peninsula Grace asked me to consider being the next lead pastor here at the church. They asked me about three or four times. I told them no, told them no, told them no. They even wined and dined me. I should clarify, elders of a church, they grape-juiced and dined me. Um, As much as I love free food, I still said no. And I thought I had some pretty good reasons why. Uh, Number one, I said, I'm inadequate. Who am I? Fellas, I haven't even been to seminary. I'm not trained. I'm not your boy. And then I had all sorts of sin issues. I was still hung up on pornography or all sorts of things in my life. Number two, I was unbelievable. Who would listen to me? I'm from Soldatna. Even Jesus said a prophet has no honor in his hometown, and I'm from Soldatna. Number three, I'm ineloquent. I said, I can't say it right. Now, the, the good Lord has graced me with a silver tongue, but you know how it is. A strength overused is a weakness, right? And uh, this tongue has gotten to me in all sorts of trouble. I had the National Honor Society in high school. Uh, they sent me a letter of rejection uh, into the National Honor Society, and they said it was because of my tongue. Funny thing was, I hadn't even applied. They were just getting ahead of the game. <laughs> they, we don't want you anywhere near us. Now, God, you want to give me a microphone in front of a bunch of Christians every week. You know how quickly I'm going to get fired, right? I've gotten some emails. We had the Pez dispenser comment last week. We're working through it. So, fourth thing, I'm unwilling. I said, Lord, at the end of the day, I don't want to. I just threw a tantrum. Lord, I just trained and spent all this money to become a teacher and get free summers, right? And you know, the, the, the church, these sheep stink, right? And I would know I'm one of you, right? But man, I said, make someone else, God. Make someone else. God kindly but firmly he said, Justin, I love you, but you're a blockhead. This is not about you. This is about me. I am more than adequate. I am trustworthy, not you. My word is effective, not yours. I will send you. This is not about the scent. This is about the sender. And, and, and God said, God, Justin, uh, I can use this, what I'm call- this role for your own growth, that I'm going to show you the way that I'm going to stretch you by my grace and grow you to become more like Jesus in ways that you've never seen. And also for the good of the people around you to help this body, our community, become more like Jesus. But Justin, I'm going to do it in a way that is going to leave no shadow of doubt as to who is actually doing this and who's, therefore, going to get all the praise for it. God has a calling on my life. And listen, he has a calling on yours as well. I can tell you God's purpose for your life. I I can't tell you who to marry or where to work, although if you come to me, I'm sure I would have some thoughts for you on that. But the purpose of our life is revealed to us in God's word. And and I would say it this way. From what I see in scripture, God's calling on our life is to become more like Jesus for the good of others around us and for the glory to the glory of God. That he rescues us as sinners out of death into life, which is a relationship with him in Jesus. And he does that in a way that gives himself all the... I didn't save myself. God did, and he gets all the glory for it. And then God also rescued me to send me back out on mission to help others know him through Jesus as well. And if you're like me, you probably have your own objections and struggles with God's call on your life. And so I'm excited to hear from God's word this morning that we would be challenged and encouraged. 
And we'll see in these three chapters, in these two chapters, I see uh, God's calling on the life of Moses, his objections, very similar to mine, and then finally God's redemption of Moses for his own purposes to save Israel. Let's look at, first of all, Moses' call, Exodus 3. It says, meanwhile, meanwhile, verse 1, back at the sheep branch. Meanwhile, what? Meanwhile, what's he calling back to? If you were here with us last week, we looked at the first two chapters of Exodus where God's people were enslaved in Egypt. He's been killing their firstborn uh, children, uh, the males, and, and they cry out to God. They, they cry out to their God to save them and to bring them in the promised land that he said he would. And he hears their cries. He raises up a deliverer to let his people go, who? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's going to be coming up a lot in this sermon series. Just get used to it. And if, you're not, if you didn't grow up in church, you're like, what did he just do? Um, we see, he says, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the, the priest of Midian. Um, so we, we saw last week Moses murder an Egyptian slave driver. And that hit and run uh, got him to run away from Egypt. And he goes down into the land of Midian where he gets married, starts having children, and is living his best shepherd life. But Moses is about to have the encounter of his life with God himself. And God is going to say, you are now going to shepherd my people out of slavery. He goes on to say, he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So here he is at Horeb. And I guess you could say he's about to have a horrible experience. That's that's what the nine o'clock said. This is actually the same mountain. This is also called Sinai. And in in Exodus 19 and 20, Moses is going to have another encounter in the presence of God on this very mountain as he receives the law. Now, what's interesting here, we were talking about this in our elder meeting this Wednesday. Uh, Notice here, verse 2, let me... Let me get the verse first. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up, right? Thanks for letting us in on your thought process, Moses. Uh, So he goes over, and it's interesting that it's burning, but not being consumed. And we talked about, it's a cool symbol to think about a God who needs no fuel to exist. Because I don't need this 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 bush to exist this is a i'm a symbolically this fire here and i exist because i exist and we're about to see him say that isn't isn't he going to now we often see in scripture this idea of smoke and fire symbolizing uh, the very presence of god when he makes the covenant with abraham and he walks through the blood path he does so as smoke and fire they're going to lead uh, the, the, the people are going to be led out of Egypt by, in the daytime, what? A cloud of, 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 of a cloud, and then, and then a, a pillar of fire, cloud and fire. And again, it says it's the angel of the Lord. We don't know, that might be a prefigurement of Christ. We can't be sure, uh, but it's leading them out. And then when Moses goes back up to the mountain, and there's thunder and lightning. Again, we see smoke and fire at Sinai in God's presence. Next verse four. Oh, there's your burning bush. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come any closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Often the reaction we see when people are in God's presence. He says, Moses, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. We see here God telling Moses, you can only come to me my way. 
And he hides. He, he stands in the presence of his God. And Moses says, God says to Moses, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. We hear that same language we heard back in Exodus 2 last week. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He says, I'm sending you from this place of my presence to my people to bring them out of bondage back where? Back here into my presence to worship me. Moses' call begins, as all calls do, a humbling, life-changing encounter with the very person of God. I remember in high school, going to youth conference in California, uh, Francis Chan was speaking. I probably have him to blame for some of my hand motions. And he would talk about, he, I remember the first time I ever heard him talk, he painted a picture of the throne room of God like I had never heard it before. And just to camp out for an hour on what it would be like to be in the very presence of our holy, holy, holy God. And we see in Scripture what happens in Isaiah 6 when he steps into this vision of the throne room. The first thing he says is, I am a man of unclean lips. When we see our holy God, that word holy means set apart, that God is separate, that he is other, that he is perfect, perfect in love, perfect in righteous, perfect in everything. And that highlights the fact that I am not God, that I am not like the one that I'm standing in the presence of. To see God rightly is to see ourselves rightly. Now, Think about in our own lives. Have you experienced this holiness of God? And now maybe you've never had this crazy moment, this vision, or certainly not a burning bush like Moses has. But do we rightly see our God and therefore rightly see ourselves as revealed to us in his word? That will be the starting place on our journey with God is to know who he even is. So first of all, we see Moses in his encounter. Now you think we're good, right? God calls out from a burning bush. I've chosen you. I'm sending you. Moses is like, message received. Let's go sing Pharaoh, Pharaoh and get out of there. But no, Moses has some follow-up questions. Moses' objections. We're going to see four of them. The first one is he says, this sounds similar to me right here at the church. I'm inadequate. Who am I? Verse 11. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to, Mo- to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He says, who am I? And I love, God often does this. Jesus does the same thing. He doesn't like seem to directly answer the question, and yet he does. Who am I? Moses, or God says this, I will certainly be with you. Moses, it doesn't matter who you am, I am. All that matters is, is I will be with you. God settles the question by saying, who has two thumbs and is about to let his people go? <laughs> this I, right? <laughs> He goes on to say in verse 13, God asked Moses, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What should I tell them? And here's this famous self-disclosure God has of his personal name. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the God, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the first three of this chosen nation, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. God answers Moses' question about his name by simply saying, I am. Now, that's, that's an incomplete sentence, right? Any grammar nerds? Like, you can't just say, you can't just say I am. I am what? But what he says is, I simply exist. I am. And I am the same covenant-keeping God who was with Abraham, was with Isaac, was with Jacob, is with you right here, Moses, and will be with my people that I'm about to 
rescue. I always have been, I am, and I always will be. And again, that's a burning bush, mic drop right there. You think we're good. But Moses says, cool, cool, cool. But another question. I'm unbelievable. No one will listen to me. Moses answered, but what if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. Anybody could walk, walk in and say, hey, God sent me to save you guys, right? How will they know that I actually am sent by the I am? And God gives him three signs that he's going to show the people. The first one was his staff will be turned into a serpent and then go back into his staff. A healing hand in his cloak, as he puts it in, it'll be withered the first time, puts it back in, it gets healed. And then finally, first of the plagues, the Nile will turn into blood. So God gives him these three signs to show the people, to give evidence to the fact that he's been sent by God. But then he gives a third objection. I'm ineloquent. I can't say it right. Moses replied to the Lord, Lord, please, I've never been eloquent either in, my, in the past or recently or since you have been speaking to your servant, like covering all his bases here, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. He said, Lord, you saw me proposing to Zipporah. Well, you mad? Like, he's like, I can't, I can't talk. And I love what God says to him. The Lord said, who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God says, let me see your tongue. What does it say on there? Made in heaven, right? He who made your mouth is surely able to move it according to his words and his will. But Moses has one more objection. He says, go, I'll speak for you. I'll teach you what to say. Moses says, I'll give you the words. God says, I'll give you the words. And objection four, he says, but I, basically, he just says, I don't wanna. I'm unwilling. Lord, Moses says, please send someone else. Now, there's no question here. This time, it's just a flat-out no. I don't want to. I'm not going to. To which God says, verse 14, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. We've seen Moses come up with a lot of objections, but this is the first time we see the anger of God. Why here? What I see here is that when Moses was asking questions, God wasn't angry at him. Like God, we, he wants us to bring our questions to him. He wants us to cry out to him. And it's not that he just asked one too many. What I see here is that he's refusing to trust God's answers. That God told him, I will be with you. I will give you adequate signs and I will give you the words you need to say. And here is Moses walking in the sin of unbelief in God's word, which is, I believe, at the heart of all of our sin as well. To not believe what God has said. But even here, how does God reveal himself over and over in scripture? I am the Lord God, slow to anger, abounding in grace and mercy. And this is exactly what we see next. He says, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and also he's on his way now to meet you. What a coincidence. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both you and him to speak, and will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will serve as a mouth for you, and you will serve as God to him. Kind of weird language, but he's saying basically Aaron's going to be your priest. Like you're the God figure in this relationship, and he's going to speak on your behalf to the people. Now, what we see here is Moses, God telling Moses, I'm going to provide someone in your place to speak for you, to go with you, your older brother. Put a pin in that. We're going to circle back to it. Now, maybe kind of tying this to our own life, maybe you, like Moses, this morning have a case of the I can'ts. And when it comes to following Jesus, 
hearing God's call in your life. Maybe you said, hey, I don't have enough training, experience. Who am I? I'm just an average Joe or Josephine or, or whatever. I don't have the training. I'm too sinful. Like, I've done things in my life. God, there's no way God would, would use these damaged goods. Maybe you think, no one would listen to me. Like, I have no, who, who am I to say? And, and I'm tongue-tied like Moses. I get, I get nervous in front of three people, right? Like, how would I be able to do this? Remember my freshman year of basketball? We were awesome. And it had nothing to do with the guy in the red circle. Um, I was a scrawny little bench warmer. I remember state championship game. I'm sitting there on the bench, as the good Lord wills it. And we had a player foul out. And coach looks down the row at me and says, Justin, go in. And I said, coach, send someone else, right? I was Moses in that moment. I don't want to go. And I I didn't go. He sent somebody else, and we won the state championship. I had no confidence in myself, but I had all the confidence in our team because I knew that Travis and Chet and Brian would do all the scoring for me. They would beat the opponent, and I'd just be standing behind them like, yeah, we just won, right? And he says, man, when you go, Moses, this is not about your ability to score the basketball. This is not about what you can do. It's about the one who's sending you. You're not to have confidence in your own words, You're not to have confidence that people will believe you. You have to have confidence that the one who has sent you will be sufficient to do all in you that he's required. And see, maybe maybe you're in here this morning and and you're like Moses' fourth objection where you're just flat out unwilling. Like you've you've been stubborn or afraid to trust God and you've got your heels dug in. And this is where Moses was at. His will at this point is in send someone else mode. I'm not going to. He needs a change of heart, and he gets one in the weirdest story in the book of Exodus. You ready for this one? Number three, Moses' rescue. So he packs up his family, and he gets ready to go. The Lord instructed Moses, when you go back to Egypt, make sure you do before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have put within your power, those signs he gave him. But I will harden his heart so that he won't let the people go. And you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. And this is big. He says, Israel is my firstborn son. He's going to use that language with Israel, his firstborn son. I told you, Pharaoh, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refused to let him go. Look, I am about to kill your firstborn son. And we're going to see that come in the final plague, right? So what do we see going on here? Moses encounters Pharaoh, a man with a hard heart. And Pharaoh's firstborn is going to be killed in the place of Israel, God's firstborn. But the first thing God says is, Moses, we've got to deal with the plank in your eye because you've got a hard heart. And look at how he addresses this. On on the trip at an overnight campsite, and this is probably how all of your camping experiences have gone, it happened that the Lord confronted him and intended to put him to death. So Zipporah took a flint, cut off her son's foreskin, threw it at Moses' feet, and said, You are a bridegroom of blood to me! So he let him alone. At that time, she said, You are a bridegroom of blood, referring to the circumcision. So, sounds like a fun family camping trip. (laughs) Some of these kids sitting here are going to have some follow-up questions after the service. Good luck with that. What in the world is going on here? Well, the covenant sign between God and his people, um, Israel, was the circumcision of every male born into the family. 
the blessings of the covenant would only apply to those who would receive the sign of the covenant and their family. God even told Moses specifically back in chapter 17 of Genesis, he said, if any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off, pun intended, from his people. He has broken my covenant. That I promise to keep you in the land and protect you and make you a people that will thrive and be a light to the nations. But anybody who doesn't keep that covenant is going to be cast out, cut off from that blessing and from his people. Now, loud and clear from cover to cover of our Bibles, faith saves, not works. But here, faith is, when we trust God, we obey God. So their trust wasn't in the circumcision, but because they trusted and believed God's promise, they took the sign of the covenant. Now, this passage is bizarre, and there's no way to get around that. And it's not super clear, so we want to be careful not to be dogmatic on on things that are not clear. But what does appear to be clear is that Moses has disobediently never had his own son circumcised. And we go, how in the world are you going to go to my covenant people when you yourself hypocritically haven't even had that sign given to your own firstborn? Moses had to get his own heart right before God here. And what's interesting, you remember back when he was a baby, the only reason that Moses has a heartbeat right now is because his mother saved his life in that little ark, the little basket floating down the Nile. And once again, we see a woman in his life saving him so that he can become the rescuer of his people. It's Zipporah, did you notice, who's the one that circumcises her son and then does some other weird stuff there. Twice now, Moses has to be given life through a woman, rescued himself so that he could be a rescuer. Notice she calls him a bridegroom of blood, and it says referring to circumcision. So the bridegroom of blood, there are different ideas on what this, what this means. But one of the things we see here is that she says, it was as though you were dead and lost, but now you're back. That I've received you back into our marriage, you're still alive, right? And that was from, how, how did that happen? By the shed blood of their innocent firstborn, right? Gershom didn't do anything. He was just a little one, right? He didn't have any say in that matter. But he... He was, he was symbolically sacrificed as his blood was shed for his, on, on behalf of his father. And isn't this what we're about to see with the people that Moses is sent to rescue? This, echo, this, this foreshadows the, the whole idea of the Passover. That the firstborn son of each house would be spared if the blood of an innocent lamb is shed in their place. And this reminds us today that we are called to the obedience of faith. What do we see with Moses back before the burning bush? You've got to take off your sandals. God said, Moses, you can only come to me my way, the way that I say that you believe and you obey. And this is the same thing here with the circumcision of his son. See, Moses was a murderer. Moses was a rebel. He said, send someone else. And we're going to see Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. He's proud and has a hard heart toward Yahweh. Both of them would have died in their own sinful disobedience had someone not been sent to rescue them. And just like Moses and Pharaoh, you and I, we are born, let's be honest, we're born with proud, murderous, put-myself-first hearts that are hardened toward our God. Some of us, we, we reject God outright and do things our own way, just kind of the secular path that says, I'll just do whatever I want. Or then we can take the religious path that says, God, I'm going to come to you my way. Then I'll come to you by doing my own good works and based on my own goodness, my own performance, both 
are different forms of rebellion and disobedience and unbelief toward our God. We come to God, God's way. You can only enter my holy presence in the way that I've said. And listen, because I love you, I want to say this. Just because you're in this building this morning, just because you're at church, by no means guarantees that you are reconciled to your God. It all comes down to the obedience of faith. My obedience of faith. Your obedience of faith. Not my parents, not my spouses, not the person that invited me to church today. Mine. Am I coming to God God's way? And how do we do that? Well, just like Moses, we need a rescuer. And this points us to Jesus, who I see in this story as the true and better Moses and the true and better Aaron. Did you hear Moses' rebuttal? This is fascinating. He said, Lord, please send someone else. Send someone in my place. I can't be the rescuer. And in a very real way, Moses is exactly right. See, God in his grace, what did Moses deserve? He deserved God's anger. He deserved God's wrath. But God said, in his grace, okay, I will send another in your place. And who will it be? Aaron, your older brother, the firstborn son who will become, who are the Levites? In Exodus, we saw that they are from the tribe of Levi. And as we look forward to the people of Israel, the Levites will become who? They'll become the priests. Those who will go before, in between the God and his people to serve God and to speak for God. We see this starting right here. So what do we see in this story? Moses is no hero. He is not the hero. God's going to use him to deliver his people. But Moses is not the hero. He's the anti-hero. Thank you, Taylor Swift, for ruining that word forever. He's a murderer. He's a coward. And guys, I'm not the hero of my story. And you're not the hero of yours. There's only one true hero who's ever walked planet Earth. Like Moses, you and I, we needed rescue. And like Moses, we needed life given to us through the faithful response of a woman. That Jesus was born of a virgin. But Jesus was not just born a man like the rest of us, was he? In John 8, he makes the audacious claim that gets a lot of the leaders ticked off at him. And he knew exactly what he was saying. He said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am Jesus didn't flunk out of grammar school. He knew what he was saying here. He's echoing. He was the same God who was in that burning bush before Moses when he said, I am who I am. He always has been. He always will be. And therefore, as the God-man, perfectly God and perfectly man, he was the only one who ever worked in, uh, lived in perfect trust and obedience of his father. That, that we see, what, what do we see with Moses? Moses gave excuses and objections. Moses was led into the wilderness prior to and to be prepared for his rescue mission. And we see Jesus, before he was commissioned, led in, or at, right after he was commissioned, led into the desert. But unlike Moses, who gave three false objections, we hear Jesus give three truth declarations when he says, It is written. Like, what my Father has said, that's what's true, that's what I trust, and that's what I'll obey, our true and better Moses. And therefore, Jesus, and only Jesus, could become the innocent firstborn to die in the place of the firstborns who deserved to be on that cross. But God, in his grace, and we said, I can't do it, Lord, send someone else. He heard the cry, and he sent, like Aaron, 
He sent our older brother, that's what Romans 8 calls him, that we are now counted among the siblings of the firstborn, but he is the firstborn of all creation now, the prototype into the new resurrection life. And Jesus became our ultimate sympathetic high priest to speak a better word on our behalf before our God. That Jesus was cut off, even that symbol of circumcision there, Jesus himself was cut off from the Father's presence. Why? So that we, his new younger siblings, could be ushered into the presence of God. That Jesus is the only way that we, those who had murderous, hard-hearted hearts as sinners before our God, could enter into the fiery presence of God without that fire consuming us. Isaiah 43 beautifully prophesies, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've bought you back. I've called you by your name. You are mine. And then here's the pictures he gives. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. At this point, this would have been history for them, but that here's like, that sounds like what's about to happen in the Red Sea or Sea of Reeds, right? And then he says, when you walk through fire, you will not be scorched and the flame will not burn you. Remember our story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace and who's there with them and they are not consumed by that fire. And unlike Moses, and Moses God told to Moses, I will be with you. But even sweeter with Christ, he doesn't just say, I will be with you, I will be in you, and you will be in me, that we now are in Christ, brothers and sisters. This is a perfect and forever union, a oneness with Jesus Christ himself. And that, and that alone is the reason that we can ascend into the holy presence of our God with the same humble boldness of Jesus himself. So let me ask you this morning. How would you answer this question? Or uh, finish this statement. God accepts me because. Now, a lot of us know, growing up in church, we know the Sunday school answer. What I'm asking is, what do you really believe? And that's evidenced by the way that we live. So how would you answer this statement in your life right now? God accepts me because why? Maybe some of us might say, well, God accepts me because I, I think I attend church enough. God accepts me because I'm a decent person. I'm better than my neighbor. I've tried really hard. God maybe even accepts me because I feel like I've felt bad enough about the things that I've done. We know there's only one right answer. God accepts me because Jesus. I stand before him and I say, God, I believe that you sent Jesus in my place to reconcile me into your presence. And you shouldn't accept me, but you do because I'm with him I'm in him and he's in me. And you now accept me undeservedly by your grace in the exact same way that you accept your firstborn son. But God didn't just rescue us so we don't go to hell one day. He created us and then he redeemed us back for the purpose that he has for us. The last thing we see here as we conclude it is that you and I have been rescued to go out and be a part of his reconciling mission. You might be thinking this morning, whew, I'm glad I'm not called to be a pastor like Justin. I'm glad I wasn't called to be a deliverer of a whole nation like Moses. That sounds hard. But man, if, if, if you are in Christ by obedience of faith, you are in the church. And the church, literally, by definition, means the called out ones. That you and I have been called out of darkness into light. That we've been called out of death into life. And that life comes with a purpose. That we are called to serve him as his kingdom of priests. 
And the purpose of our lives, as we said at the outset, is to become like Jesus as we are now one with him. Why? For the good of those around us, this lost and dying world, and two, the glory of God. You see, what did Jesus say his mission was when he came to this earth? I came to seek and save the lost. And if I'm now one with Christ, that means that Jesus' calling is my calling. That means Jesus' mission is my mission. So I'm called to go out and seek and save the lost as well. And this is just like Moses. When we first encounter our holy God of the mountain, we're then sent out, redeemed, to go bring more people back into the presence of God in the name and blood of Jesus. I think that's the only reason we're not sucked up the minute we get saved, like one of those little tubes at the bank drive-through. Whoop! Like, why don't we just go to heaven right when we die? It's because we have a mission. Like, because we have a purpose here. Because He's not done reconciling those whom He loves to Himself through Jesus. We are all called to go out and to make disciple-making disciples. And just like God told Moses back in Exodus. He tells us, what did Jesus say? Go into the world and make disciples. And how did he finish it? I will be with you to the end of this age. And that's our hope in life and death. As a side note, like we're all called to be disciple-making disciples. Every single, if you're, like there's not like Christian and disciple. Like if you're, if, if you are in Christ, you are a disciple of Christ. You're called to go out and make disciples. And particularly here in our body, we need those who will take that call seriously and be leaders right here in our local church. And I'm not just calling for like volunteers to fill up a board. I'm talking about people who will disciple our children with the word of God in your life. Those who will disciple our teenagers. Those who will help disciple one another as adults. We need those. I need more people in the pulpit here with me and Ross and Danny. We need more people to shepherd our small groups. Like, in a good, in a good problem, our small groups are, are busting wide open. But we need more people willing to help shepherd the, the sheep. We need people to help our body grow here, but not just for our good, but for the good of the world around us. And maybe, maybe God is calling you to go. To go and plant, to go and make disciples, to go take that good news to places where it's never been before. Now, you might say, not me. I'm just ordinary guy. I'm just, I'm just ordinary gal. I'm just doing my thing, right? I, I got a full-time job and kids. There's no way. That, that, that's me. My neighbor probably heard you, Justin, but that's not, that's not me. I'm not adequate. <laughs> but just like with Moses, and God says, what, what does he say? God answers all of our objections in our rescuer. Maybe this morning you're saying, but I, I'm not adequate. And it's true. We are, we, it's not that we are adequate. Oh, whoops, I, I did a typo there. Didn't I? We are not adequate, but Jesus is more than adequate. You see, this is not, me going is not based on my qualifications, but his. The beautiful truth is that God uses ordinary sinners for his purposes. Is anybody here a murderer? We, we could get in big trouble here. Whew, okay, so if anybody, it, it, think about this for a second. If God will send Moses, who had committed murder, like, he's not going to send me. He's not going to send you. I've seen the way God's used my past addiction to pornography, to use that in ways, to speak in life, words of encouragement into other guys' lives who are in that same place themselves. Now, that doesn't justify my past sin, but it sure shows how God can redeem it. And you might say, but, but I can't save anybody. No kidding. Like it's, God says it's not who am I. 
not who are you, but who am I. In fact, God is going to do things in a way that, that it's, he shows the world what, what, I did, what you just did, Justin, what you just did out there, that is obviously outside of your own ability. And that shows the world that God alone will get the praise and glory for what he's about to do in you and about to do through you. Maybe you would say, but, but we, I, I fail to believe and obey him on a daily basis. Well, that's true. But Jesus Christ believed and obeyed God for us. And even better, now today, he believes and obeys God in and through us. That, we, that picture of circumcision was the idea of being cut off. That God cut off, removed our old, stony, stubborn, rebellious heart and has given us a new heart, the very heart of Jesus that said in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. So the good news, family, is not just that we're saved from our own disobedience and distrust, but we've now been given the Spirit of God in us so that we can go out and obey and trust and be on mission. And finally, we say, but I can't speak wisely and boldly. I'm not going to know what to say. The minute somebody has a follow-up question about evolution or the, how we can trust the Bible's historicity or transgenderism, or I don't know what to say. But the reality is, Jesus said, I'm going to speak a better word in and through you. He said, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to give you my spirit. He told his disciples, when you're standing on trial... I'm gonna, my spirit in you will give you the words to say and the boldness to say them. He says, when you, when you go out, even talking to God, there's going to be times when you don't even know how to express what you need to the Father. Romans 8 says, the Holy Spirit himself will groan for us. He will guide us into all truth. God will give us the words to say. His spirit will give us the boldness to say them as well. You and I have been sent on a mission. It doesn't matter who we are, the sent. It matters who the sender is. And how does this story conclude? Then Moses and Aaron went out, went and assembled all the elders of the Israelites. Aaron repeated everything the Lord had said to Moses and performed the signs before the people. So God's true to his word. Aaron speaks for Moses and the signs that he promised come to fruition. And what's the result? Exactly what God said would happen. The people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had paid attention to them, and that he had seen their misery, they knelt low and worshipped. And brothers and sisters, this same beautiful mission is the one we're called on today, to go into this world. God says, I'll speak for you. It's my job to change their hearts to believe, not yours. You just simply go. And when you do, we get to go and tell this world, there's a God who loves you, has heard your groaning, has seen your misery, loves you, and wants to reconcile you to him through his son. And as we go by faith, we can see the exact same thing happen. People kneel and worship our good God in the person of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. I thank you that you saved a sinner just like me, a wretch. How wonderful. How marvelous. Father, I thank you for, for Christ's perfect work on our behalf. But now, Lord, I, I just want to pray. I want to pray for those in this room today that, that have never taken off the sandals, that have never come to you your way in the name and in the blood of Jesus, that today they would believe and obey and come to you your way through Christ himself. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters, my fellow disciples, 
who, like me, have thrown up many objections for why they shouldn't be living on mission for you in whatever specific ways you've called them to, that today, in your kind grace and truth, you would peel back the layers of objections and get to the heart of the issue before before them. What's going on there with their unbelief, Lord? That we would be a people who would trust and obey We'll go if you say go and say what you say to say and be quiet when you say to be quiet, Lord, that you are using recovering sinners for the good of others in a way that will leave no shadow of a doubt who will get all the glory for it. May we be a people, your called out ones, who go in the name of the beautiful one, the one who was sent to die for us, the firstborn of all creation. It's in his beautiful name that all God's people said.